My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a person who'd never had to disinvite anyone to her own wedding. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be opening our hearts to very vulnerable conversations and rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, Big Daddy Nix, Michael Horowitz, anyone involved in the making and marketing of Burn Notice... Uh, please let us know. Uh, you can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at all to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burnnoticed with a D because that is the name of our show. Mm-hmm. Hello, Brie Castellini. Hello. How are you doing? So you recently started watching Avatar. I yeah, want to exactly. talk about that. <laughs> That's the thing we're definitely going to talk about. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, because as I was just saying, I think because I, Avatar premiered the year that I went to college. Okay. And so I was like busy doing college stuff and I was like wow. trying to be an adult. I, what year was that? I think it's 2007, right? Or was it 2005? I feel like it had to be earlier because I remember being like a okay. full middle schooler watching maybe it was, that show. It and I'm not been, that much younger than you as much as I like to give you shit. It may have been 2005. It may have been 2005. Yeah. I thought it was 2007. I think it may have been 2005. Also, so, there's like a lot of episodes. It might have aired weirdly. Kids TV, I feel like, doesn't true. have the same kind of seasons that adult TV does. Yeah. So like I missed out on it for the first time. Right. And so, You were a little too old for it as it was airing. Exactly. And so I finally sat down and watched it. And, like, of course, it's a very good television show. We all know this. But it's, like, it's so good. It's Mm -hmm. really genuinely very good. And I think it's really sort of interesting the way that, like, Nickelodeon has decided now that it is their franchise. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because it, like, works as a franchise. But it almost kind of gives it this weird sort of Star Trek legacy wherein it becomes a franchise retroactively. Because, mm-hmm. like, it was a show that was on at the time that everyone was like, this is a good show. But then, like, years later, it kind of became this thing of, like, oh, no, this was a great show. This is yeah, world it's, building. Yeah, it's a good this show is... outside of it being a decent kids show. Exactly. It's like It's not just, like, parents were like, yeah, I'll watch this if it's on. Like, that that works for me. It's like, oh, no, this is a genuinely good show for all ages. And, but not even that, but very specifically, like, this is a world that we can live in. And that's partially mm-hmm. because they did a sequel show. Sure. Um, I will say, because I watched all of Avatar, Mm -hmm. and then I watched all of Legend of Korra. I watched most of Legend of Korra and then kind of fell off of it. I don't like it as much. It is not as as charming because they are teenagers, and teenagers are objectively the worst kind of people. Here's my thing about Legend of Korra. Okay, so my big um, kind of top-down takeaway Uh is that there's no episode of Legend of Korra that is better than the pilot of Legend of Korra. Yeah, 100%. All of the best ideas... It's like Glee that way. All of the best ideas that they ever had about Legend of Korra, they had in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea to set it in the time that they're setting it in. Like, they have a really lot of smart ideas for how to make this television show. Mm-hmm. And they don't quite know how to make this television show. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the writers have a certain amount of, like, really genuinely complicated understanding of the world that they can mm-hmm. make a really smart show about children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, like, punching a little bit above their weight when they try to do, like, politics. Yeah. Like, they're the young aimed, adult and higher. That are aimed at a little bit more of an all. And they're trying really hard. 
I feel like Legend of Korra is the most Obama-era show because <laughs> it is a show that is te- that is both really good at understanding the limits of liberalism, mm-hmm. but is also terrified of anything that isn't liberalism. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't know what to do with that. It doesn't know what to do with those tensions. So, like... So they make Toph's daughter a cop? They make Toph's daughter a <laughs> cop. They make Toph a cop. Yeah, yeah. They make Toph... Toph a cop, and that's so wrong. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, when we finally see Toph, she's not a cop, she's Yoda, and yeah. that's great. Yeah, that's ep- that's exactly what she should have always been. She always should have been Yoda, because, and I will say, I say Yoda specifically because they are very much trying to do Yoda, because yeah. Avatar loves Star Wars. <laughs> and I actually kind of think that that's one of my favorite things about it, is that as it is a television show that loves Star Wars, and I love Star Wars, and actually, my other big takeaway from why I prefer Avatar to Korra is that Avatar is an adventure show. Yeah. And Korra is a superhero show. Yeah, and they, they have fundamentally different strengths and weaknesses exactly. in that kind of story. And yeah, I, I think you're totally right that politics is definitely above, above their weight class. Exactly, and they're trying so hard. And I will say, though, that I do think overall Korra is my favorite character in both shows. I love Korra. I like... Started I Korra. very irritating. Of course you would, because like any female characters that I like, you find irritating. Mm-hmm. Really quickly, what do you think the uh, intersection is between our Burn Notice fans and our Avatar The Last Airbender fans? Uh, not very um, big, which is great, though, because that means that you guys can watch Avatar. Yeah, where, where is it right now? Netflix? It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Go uh, watch it on Netflix. Yeah, go watch it on Netflix. I will also say that, like, and we were talking off mic mm-hmm. about, like the kinds of relationships and the aesthetic of relationships of lesbian relationships Mm -hmm. and like Cora and Asami are the most aesthetic lesbians that ever existed. Like part of my love of Cora is also just arms. Yeah. I mean like, like on an art level, Cora is the hottest character in all of Avatar. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's part of it, which I will say after I finished Legend of Cora, because that was not quite as satisfying as a lesbian show. Mm-hmm. I did go back and finish She-Ra. I never watched She-Ra. But, like, I don't... Avatar is the only animated show that I will ever watch and or rewatch. Like, I don't really like animated shows. I, adult or otherwise. I will say a thing happened to me this year mm-hmm. that's, like, sort of related to my transitioning just because, like, I'm rewriting my personality. Sure. I suddenly got very into animation. Partially because I went back and rewatched. Actually, not even rewatched. I never watched it when I was a kid. Sleeping Beauty. And mm. Sleeping Beauty is an amazing mu- movie purely on a technical level. Yeah. Storytelling-wise, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's a fucking basic-ass Disney movie. It's like, yeah. But, but it's gorgeous. But it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And like... Oh, yeah, that's the one with, like, the fighting fairies who are, like, changing the color of her dress. exactly. The fairy stuff in that movie is so The fairy stuff is great. The cake that, like, is... The aesthetics of it are so on point that it rewrote me a little bit, and now I care about animation. Like, that's what Sleeping Beauty did to me. And so, like, that was part of my need to go back and rewatch Avatar The Last Airbender Mm -hmm. after, like, rewatching all the animated Disney movies and, like watching any especially 2d animation because we don't do that as much anymore Mm -hmm. and so like i'm just looking for like any modern kind of animation that feel that's 2d and hand-drawn just to see what we're doing with that Mm -hmm. and it's so funny to me that like the only time in the last few years that we've had like a large budget like american movie that uses like 2d hand-drawn animation was Parts of Space Jam 2. 
Like, I watched Space Jam 2, like, because I thought it would be funny to do. Sure, yeah. And I remember watching it, oh, this is what it looks like when we do hand-drawn animation and film now. And, like, that almost made me care about it. Because it's like, but it sucks that, like, we're not making these hand-drawn movies anymore. I firmly believe that they should make a hand-drawn Wicked movie. Oh, that would probably be good. I think. The- well, I, I, the reason that we don't do it is fairly simple. It's because mainstream movies aren't about artistry anymore. No, of it's the movie industrial complex. Like they can make three D animation much faster, and like we'll get to impress the other studios with like, look how good our water animation is now. Look at how good our hair animation is now. And so it's more about that. It's more about the movie arms race than it is yeah. about like making art for art's sake. That's why like the best movies are the ones that are like. When they have kickbacks, they're like, sure, make a cocoa, you know, sure, make like these little things. Yeah. Like they're not going to be our tentpole stuff because our tentpole stuff is just cookie cutter, the same shit as ever that we can do super easily all on a computer. I feel the same way, actually. And this is me like stepping in an, er- an area that is not mine that I kind of don't give a shit about, mm-hmm. about AAA video games, where it's all about like how far can we push the technology mm-hmm. and never about design and never about, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is which isn't to say there's not really amazing looking and designed modern 3D movies. There's a ton. Obviously, Spider Verse is great. We all mm-hmm. know that Spider Verse is great. Yeah, I really liked. Was it the Mitchells versus Machines? It was so good. The Netflix it was one. So yeah. good. And like, and that I think that had some of the same creative people. I think it did. As yeah. Spider Verse, as mm-hmm. well as like a guy who wrote on another animated show. I forget what. Yeah. I think it's the guy who made it. But like, yeah, there's. You're doing a lot with animation there, and that really does feel like it's pushing things forward, not just technologically, but creatively in the things mm-hmm. that you can do. And I would love to see something like that that's integrating more 2D animation. Mm-hmm. I actually do think, both in 2D and 3D, if you have Disney+, Plus, the best thing that you can do on Disney+, Plus is go and find all of the animated shorts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really amazing animated shorts on Disney+. Plus. Go watch that. That's, yeah, those that... are where a lot of the artistry is. Exactly. We should talk about Burn Notice. Yeah, we should talk about Burn Notice. What are we watching this week? We're watching an episode of Burn Notice. God damn it. It's not very good. <laughs> I uh, didn't hate it as much as Chris did, but I also didn't have to take notes on it, so. This, here's the thing about this episode, and I'll say, like, again, overview of this episode. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's bad and boring ways that sure. are boring because spoilers Alfredo Barrios Jr. wrote it yeah as soon as I saw that I was like I understand and <laughs> I was like I, get, I know what I'm about and to also get. it involves prison we know that I don't like prison yeah I actually like the prison stuff I, <laughs> I was well, like I, I saw Alfredo's name and then I saw Fees in prison and I was like okay I understand why Chris didn't like this episode but also there but also the thing that really like annoys me about this episode is the wasted potential of it Okay, we'll, we'll, um, we'll get, get to, to that it in, the in the weeds. But first, I have to explain which episode we're talking about. Yes. And that is uh, season six, episode two, Mixed Messages. And God, is this episode a mixed message? <laughs> uh, which aired at June 21st, 2012. It was written by Alfredo Barrios Jr. and directed by Wicked Pissa JD himself. I didn't notice that. I saw Alfredo Barrios Jr. and was like, I'm going to go to another tab. I don't need to watch this episode very closely. That's right. This is a. What is the name of this guy who we talk about? Jeffrey Donovan. I forgot <laughs> Jeffrey Donovan's name for a second. Fucking oh my god. This is like this is a, a Jeffrey. Joint. Yeah, this is a Jeffrey Donovan joint. Um, I will say, especially in the first half, there's good direction in this episode. Yeah, I, think this episode I, is... I loved Fee coming out of like the smoke of the prison. Oh yeah. No, this episode looks good. good. Yeah, and there was some fun like fight choreography yeah. in prison. I thought that went really well. No, good job. Uh, Jeffrey Donovan, this episode in prison actually looks like it's 
in prison, unlike the last time we went to prison, <laughs> when it did not look like a prison. Well, this is way more of a prison episode, I think. Yeah. That was the Except, problem. Although, even then, they could it's, invest not, in it. it's not that much of a prison episode. I will say, like, we spend about as much time with Fee this week as we did last week. That's true. Um, but we'll get into that in the weeds. But first, I have to say what the premise is. Mm-hmm. According to the Internet Movie Database, yes. and, it's, and it's denizens, mm-hmm. the premise of this episode is... Michael takes on a drug cartel for his former mentor to gain access to Fiona, who must befriend a fellow prisoner to fend off a gang leader. It's gangs, it's prison, it's, it's ga- drug dealers, it's gotta be Alfredo Barrios Jr. Yeah, and uh, let's get into the weeds. The triforce of his kink. We start with Fiona narrating a letter to Michael as she is interned in Alrod Federal Penitentiary, the prison for the worst of the worst. It's also a prison for the fictional because it does not exist. It is not a real prison. Yeah. Also, if it's for the worst of the worst, they have like a lot of freedom. And like, like I feel like we've seen worst of the worst prisons and like they have a lot of like walking around here's, privileges. Here's the thing. <laughs> that would require them to like use the potential of their premise. And they do not do that in this episode. Um, so, but we get a montage of Fee being processed as she re- narrates in a letter to Michael explaining what's going on. Uh, she explains that she's pretty much hopeless and how it reminds her of the first time that she lost Michael and how sh- and I'm struck by how this is the longest I think I've ever heard Fee talk, mm-hmm. especially talking about her own experiences. Yeah. And as I'm watching this part of the episode, I thought, oh, well, this is going to be a Fee in prison episode. But hey, this is kind of nice. We're getting a lot of Fee. I like Fee. Part of me is like, wouldn't it be great if like the whole episode was... Fee narrating, like just that's in this what letter. I thought they were gonna do. That's what I thought they were gonna I do. They were gonna do a fee spy tips episode. I know. I thought this was gonna be a fee spy tips episode. And then we of but course no. remembered that Alfredo Barrios Jr. wrote it. Of course, that's not gonna happen. But no, we're not doing that. No, 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 no. So then we cut to uh, Michael reading the letter as Sam watches, and Michael says that Fiona is close to giving up, and Michael flips a table and screams, <laughs> and we get just a little bit more of, like, that Jeffrey Donovan overacting that we got all of last week. Mm-hmm. So Michael says that he wants to see Fee so that he can give her hope because they're doing things to get her out. He doesn't like the idea that Fee is hopeless. So Sam suggests that maybe you do a favor for some of your old friends at the CIA. And by old friends, we mean the man who trained Michael. And by the man who trained Michael, we mean Dr. Cox himself, John C. McGinley. Yay! I was so happy to see him the same way I was happy to see him in the Brooklyn Line 9 final season that just came out. And they did as good as they could for. Did you watch the last season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine? No, I haven't watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine in years. It's very good. It's, I mean, it it has, like, the, the, all the dregs of the sure-verse in, like, the worst ways. But it also, like... It is one of the, like, best funny shows still left out there that's just truly funny. There is a thing where I feel like... And they did like... the best that they could this season, you know, yeah, post... Exactly. <laughs> Post-Copagandagate. But, you know, it, was yeah. a, it, it, it by necessity had to be a little toothless, and it was a shorter season. And... Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. I, like, it was always the show because, like, it was a Mike Sure show that, like you said, like had the least involvement from him. Mm-hmm. So it was, it had, I always felt like some of his worst tendencies, mm-hmm. but not his high highs. Yeah. So it was always a show that was okay. Like there's a lot of really funny jokes, but it mm-hmm. never had quite the ambition. Yeah. That, it was like, not an ambitious show. It was not an ambitious show. And I, 
I find it very hard to spend a lot of time watching unambitious shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like a comfort show. Exactly. And at this point, I found other things that give me comfort. Sure. I now, if I want comfort, I listen to podcasts. Sure. And if I want ambition, I watch television. That's fair. Yeah. But anyways, John C. McGinley was in that season too. I love John C. McGinley. He's the same guy everywhere. And I love that for him. And I love that for him. I don't love it for this episode though. Really? Because uh, I will say, at this point, we get, we meet John C. McGinley and I'm like, oh, this isn't a fee in prison episode. This is um, Michael meets his mentor episode. So mm-hmm. we're going to get a lot of backstory of what it was like to train Michael. And we're going to see all the ways in which this man imprinted on Michael and what things they have in common and what things they don't. <laughs> None of that. Well, we, we have one thing. We I, have one line. We have one line that we will get to. Is it the fact that on his desk is a yogurt cup? Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I didn't either. So I'm glad because it's in the trivia because I went to look at the trivia. But item. that's that's how much we're getting is that it's a little Easter egg about like this is where Michael got his yogurt habit from that no one calls attention to that both of us, I, people who not just watch Burn Notice regularly but specifically watch Burn Notice to find yogurt mm-hmm. and we both missed it. Yeah, that shows like how. Hidden I mean, he was. mentions it later in the episode. He doesn't mention that there was a yogurt cup, but he mentions like, hey, let's go get a yogurt as we yeah. talk over how this this thing went. But yeah, no, you're totally right. Like, in the context of this could have been an interesting exploration of like who Michael was and how the he became show this man. loves to do. It right. does this constantly. It feels like, but here we get to like John C. McGinley. And um, I will say right now, I love John C. McGinley. I think he's miscast. Yeah. I think like it's because... He's great. He has no range. He does the thing no. that he always does mm-hmm. everywhere. He is John C. McGinley. Exactly. <laughs> I do think there is a kind of fun meta joke in that Dr. Cox is once again mentoring JD. <laughs> um, That's so true. But yeah, like, you would think that, like, the mentor that Michael had would also have his stoicism. There would, like, sense, like, there would be something. It... And they never really even mention it that much. Like, after this beginning, we kind of set this up as, like, that's what this is. And it's not that either. So no, he just happens to be a guy they work with this week. Exactly. Like, they could have had zero backstory together, and it would have made literally no textual difference. The thing is, it would have made more sense to cast John C. McGinley if he was not his mentor. Yeah. It would have been better if he was just a CIA guy that he knew, mm-hmm. but not his mentor. It doesn't... They don't get anything out of it. Yeah, it, acts, no, it, it adds nothing. It and it subtracts nothing. things. Yeah, exactly. But so he explains that, like, he wants to go with Fee. The most we get is that John C. McGinley does not like Fee mm-hmm. or thinks that, like, Fee is bad for Michael. Which, I, if you see the world in the way that most, like, on-the-ball CIA people do, that makes sense. Michael doesn't care. He asks John C. McGinley for a job because he wants to see Fiona. Mm-hmm. And and John C. McGinley says, well, I do have one job. And so at, at this point, I still thought, oh, that's what this is going to be. It's going to be the two of them together. Mm-hmm. And just the two of them talking about their history. No. So we immediately cut to, like, we take he takes Michael to a five-star restaurant and orders, and orders him iced tea. <laughs> Which... Hilarious. Which Michael, and then Michael bitches about how how hard Card used to be on him back in the day. That's the most reference we ever get to their history. Mm-hmm. And then Michael asks, what's this job? And then poor John C. McGinley says, well, it's an Alfredo Barrios Jr. episode. So it's a, <laughs> it's a drug cartel. And, yeah. <laughs> and Michael's like, are there bad guys? And he's like, yeah, they're really bad guys. Are they kind of paranoid? He's like, yeah, they're, they're kind of paranoid. <laughs> And yeah, we're get, like. Are they from Mexico? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're from, from Mexico. Mexico. Are they? 
Are they are they importing cocaine? Yeah, they're importing cocaine. Are, are we trying to catch that cocaine? Yeah, we're trying to catch that cocaine. It's like and it's so funny too because like he kind of says like this is a hard job. Uh-huh. Like you're you're working with no safety net. Mm-hmm. It's going to be just the two of us, and it's like bog standard Alfredo Barrios Jr. You pop. know that's the premise of Burn Notice, right, Alfie? Yeah. I decided exactly. I'm calling him Alfie. Yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> is that like. That's what he's used to. That's not hard for him. Mm-hmm. This is what he does. Whenever someone in the CIA works with Michael, they're always surprised that he is able to work without Annette all the time. Mm-hmm. That is literally his old job. Presumably, John C. McGinley taught him how to do this. Yes. I don't know why he is like. Yeah, even when this. he was with the CIA, he was always a contractor. So presumably, yeah. he had less of a social net uh, or a social net, less of a safety net as other agents did. So yeah, presumably, if anyone knew this from within the company, it's John C. McGinley. Exactly, but he doesn't. And so at this point, we thought this episode might be a prison episode. Turns out it's not. No. We thought that this episode might be a Michael backstory episode. It's not. Turns out it's not. So we cut to the next scene, back at the loft, and Madeline knocks on the door, and she's got Nate, and Michael says, no. (laughs) (laughs) We, like, nope. This episode's not a Nate episode. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And then they literally just, just leave. <laughs> and the scene what ends. Is, what is the point of this scene? No, literally, Nate shows up at the very end. I would have mm-hmm. forgiven everything about this episode if Nate never showed up in the episode again. <laughs> like, if, <laughs> literally the way, it is not much of a stretch to say what happens is, is that Madeline shows up with Nate. Michael says, no, I'm busy. And Nate says, yeah, you're right. And then leaves. Mm -hmm. Like, that is literally how the scene happens. And then the scene ends. He doesn't talk to Madeline for a while. Yeah. No. no. It's just over. Like, (laughs) that's the thing is that, like, the, the episode keeps offering pitches about what it thinks the episode is about. And then saying no. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we're not going to do a prison episode. And then, like, no, we're not going to do a mentor episode. And then they're going to say, maybe it's a Nate episode. And Michael's like, no, no Nate episode. <laughs> like, the rule of threes, finally, the character puts his foot down. He's like, fuck yeah. this. And also, really quickly, I don't want to move on quite yet, because we've only seen cards, we only see cards off as ones. Did you notice the Obama Photoshop photo behind John C. McGinley? No, I did not. Oh Holy my god. shit. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We I we cannot move on until I show you this. It's the funniest Photoshop I've ever seen, and it's so prominent behind John C. McGinley in the scene. I'm obsessed with it. It's so funny. It'd be funny if that was just the thing that John C. McGinley had. <laughs> he just has a Photoshop. And I will say, picture. like, Again, I love John C. McGinley. He is sleepwalking through this episode. Oh, I mean, every guest star who's in a Burn Notice episode with any level of prominence sleepwalks through it. Exactly. But, like, it is especially just... Maybe because I've seen John C. McGinley sleepwalk in so many things, but also I've seen him be very good. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing is that, like, I think John C. McGinley is an actor who, when he's given right the right material, commits and is great, and mm-hmm. when he is not... He coasts. Yeah. And uh, he is there coasting. He is. Okay. That. <laughs> it's like head is yeah. at a weird angle. It's so funny to oh, me. Oh, God. It's genuinely so funny. Let's see if I that can actually... find the yogurt. Oh, no. Oh, there, it, there is. it is. Okay. We found the yogurt. We did find the confirmed yeah. yogurt sighting. Confirmed yogurt. There's a yogurt in this episode. That's very important. Anyway. Anyways, moving Meanwhile, on. Meanwhile, we cut to Fee in the prison cafeteria, and she's looking for her click. When a woman knocks a tray out of her hand, it's very standard uh, mm-hmm. cafeteria uh, thing. And then another very large woman named DB offers Fee an apple. 
and Fee takes the apple. And then a woman named Nicole, played by Taryn Manning, who, like, would go on to play Pensatucky mm-hmm. in um, Orange is the New Black. And this would be typecasting if it wasn't for the fact that Orange is the New Black would not premiere until a year after this episode came out. Mm-hmm. So if anything, someone was watching this episode of Burn Notice and said, she is good at being in a women's prison. Yeah, and it's too bad that I'm watching this after that fact, because as soon as I saw her, I was like, even if she's on Fee's side at first, I know she's going to heel turn at some point, because oh. otherwise they would have picked a much more anonymous person. Right, exactly. Although, again, she hasn't done, like, she's a little more anonymous at this point. I mean, she she had been in Hustle and Flow, I think. Maybe. I, but um, she just, like, she seems like someone who is an actor yeah. who has more of a range than just, like, meek exactly. friend in prison. And also because she is the only person at all in the prison, other than Fee, that is given any dialogue. To, any dialogue. Anything to do. Yeah. The, the people, the woman named DB, mm-hmm. who is like, is a non-entity. Yeah, like, she's just large and mad. Large and mad. That is it. <laughs> nothing happens in this prison. Like, mm-hmm. nothing. At all. Like, they're not taking advantage of the fact that it's in prison. Like, nothing, nothing happens. But anyway, so... But yeah, this woman gives Fee an apple. Benzataki says, you might not want to eat that apple. But, but then proceeds to explain why she probably should eat the apple. No, no. So she says, you don't want to eat that apple. And then says, if you don't eat the apple, everyone will ha- want to kill you. Uh-huh. But if you do eat the apple, you'll be like uh, DB's bitch or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, spoiler, she does want Fee to die. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Her plans make no sense. It's almost like it's a burn notice episode. Yeah. But yeah, she explains that if you eat if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, <laughs> then you will be DB's bitch. Yeah. I mean, uh, Barrios loves his biblical imagery. He does. Um, but Fee does not eat the apple. She throws it on the floor. <laughs> she tosses it on the floor and everyone reacts and like, that's it. Yeah, there's basically like a classroom of teenagers going, Ooh. Yeah, it's about <laughs> what happens. Or a live studio audience. <laughs> Meanwhile, we cut back to Michael and Card, but it turns out it's not just Michael and Card. It's not even, like, the the pitch that John C. McGinley makes is that it's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. So it's immediately not just the two of them anymore. No. It's not just Michael and Card. It's Michael and Jesse. And Jesse... And also, isn't Sam there? Or and is he not Sam, there yet? He shows up in the scene. Got it. Um, yeah. It's Michael and Jesse. And Jesse explains that the bad guys are bad so that we know that they're bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam comes in with a dead body. Of course. I forgot about this. Very funny. Good was, bit. Yeah. And then Card explains that in order to get in with the bad guy, whose name is Montero, mm-hmm. um, which is funny now because that is the name of Little Nas X album. <laughs> they did and not also know the that name of Little Nas X. That's true. Yes. But we all call him Lil. I, well, I call him Lil. <laughs> I call him X. <laughs> But yeah, um, but that was a weird thing the whole time I was like making writing notes is that all I could think about was Lil Nas X. <laughs> but in order to get in with Montero, who is bad and paranoid and a psychopath, mm-hmm. he got a, he gets a lower third that says psychopath because that's Four. what we do with Alfredo Barrios. Yep. Um, do you ever think he gets tired? Do you think he gets tired of doing this thing over and over? I don't think over? so. I think he the reason that he does it over and over and then like seems to insist on doing it over and over is because this is how he gets it. Yeah. This just... This is his thing. This is the thing that he does. Yeah. But anyway, so John C. McGinley explains the plan, which is Michael and Jesse will pose as DEA agents who got caught scamming and killed their boss. Mm -hmm. And so now they're trying to get in with Montero and help him out in order to get him to move this shipment of cocaine so that they can get it. Mm -hmm. And they need the dead body to sell that they killed their boss. Yeah. That is the plan. 
Oh, also, Michael's got an expensive bug as a pen, and um, they do a whole joke about how you shouldn't break the pen because it's expensive, mm-hmm. and then the pen is never broken. Yeah, so it's it's one it's Chekhov's went to lunch and yeah. forgot that he had a pen there. <laughs> Again, the episode in a microcosm mm-hmm. is we take a minute setting up a thing and then never paying it off. Yeah, it's just that it's just like here's. There's all of these setups for all of these potential things that could happen, and then it's just a Barrios cartel episode. Like, that's yeah. it. Well, I mean, there's, like, with other people in my life, there's a ceiling with him, where it's like, he yeah. understands the setup well enough to, like, you know, trick us, but he can't fully ever get us there because he's stunted. Because exactly. he just likes the idea of stuff. And for him, that's enough. Because he gets to play in his little fantasy world exactly. and have boys shoot guns at each other. But, like, for people who want a satisfying conclusion in, like, thematic consistency, that's not what he's in it for. He's in it for shooty, shooty, gun, gun. And, ooh, joke. It doesn't matter if it pays off because he did the joke already. He did the thing he wanted. He's done. He got his kicks. J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh god, it's yeah, it's a little bit. Wrong. Yeah, it's a little bit J.J. Abrams. It's like a super amount J.J. Abrams. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I just wanted to be mean about J.J. Abrams, <laughs> a guy who I like better than Alfredo Barrios Jr. He just writes women slightly better. Yeah. Well, I mean, and is a little bit more ambitious with what he sets up. Which, I mean, while it is often his downfall, at least makes the opening a little more interesting. I will say. And I, I may have said this on the podcast before, but J.J. Abrams' strength is casting. He casts mm. very well, and he knows how to get, like, the most out of his casts, but he knows nothing about storytelling. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, so Sam and Card get set up in a surveillance van, and Michael and Jesse are about to make the approach with Montero when Michael recognizes Montero's lawyer from season one, episode three... A.K.A. the one with Michael's landlord's waitress. With the annoying daughter, I believe. Yeah, that's the annoying daughter episode. I saw that in the fucking trivia, and I was like, I know that in the episode they said that he's seen him before, and I just sort of assumed, like, oh, yeah, I guess we've seen him before. The fact that it's actually that guy, I'm like, what? What is the point of this? What canon are we trying to, like, establish here? And it's worth pointing out that after this scene, we never see that lawyer again. We never see... Nothing is paid off. Nothing. (laughs) It's pointless. We never see that lawyer again, Brie Castellini. Mm-mm. Yeah, he doesn't, like, peek out the window when they go to, like, the the actual, like, DEA on, agent on the payroll and, like, look out the window like, that's not a DEA agent. That's Michael Weston. Right, exactly. He wants out an annoying teenage girl got away from me. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, so Michael wants to call the op there, and Jesse's like, I can do it solo. Mm-hmm. And Michael's like, no, we should just go. And Jesse's like... No, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I care about you need Fee to see too. Fee, yeah. Yeah, I care about Fee too, and you need to see Fee. I care about... We're doing this. So Michael goes back to the van, and John C. McGinley goes full Dr. Cox on him. <laughs> like, he's doing, like... He's really going for it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's doing all these, like, hand gestures. He almost calls him newbie. I bet there's, <laughs> there's a take where he calls him newbie, actually. Oh, there's gotta be. And then he says that we, you should have pulled him out. You should have called it. And Michael says, no, this is what we do. Yada, yada, yada. But he says, like, no, these guys, I don't know if you understand, Michael Weston, these guys, they're bad. (laughs) You should have been like, I've had the second most popular cocaine dealer, like, do my bidding multiple times, John C. McKinley. What's this guy? Like, fifth on the list? No, you don't understand. (laughs) These guys don't care about family. (gasps) 
They are bad guys. You should not have left Jesse with these bad guys. I can betray my friends. I might even betray my government. <gasps> but I never betray my family. That's the difference between Alfredo Farage Jr. and my uh, Yeah, Matt Nix. Matt Nix has, like, at the top of his pyramid is government. And Alfredo Farage <laughs> Jr. is family. Anyway, so Jesse approaches and does his Jesse thing, which I genuinely love so much. Mm -hmm. That is the thing. This episode keeps offering things that it is and not doing them. So it kind of becomes a Jesse episode. Yeah. But it's so weird that the episode where Fia's in prison Mm -hmm. and Michael is meeting his mentor... It's a Jesse episode. Yeah, I now that knowing that Je- Jeffrey Donovan directed this episode, that makes a lot more sense. But I remember just sitting through this episode, and I'm like, why is the second episode of the season one where Michael Weston is functionally useless? He doesn't do fucking shit. He, he doesn't, doesn't even do it. anything exciting. Like, I think Sam's the one that's like, hang on, hang on. Oh, I think Jesse's signaling. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Michael Fully does nothing in nothing the entire in this episode. episode. He doesn't even do anything... With his mentor. No, and he also doesn't even get to fucking see Fee at the end. Like, the whole point of this episode is, I want to see Fee, I gotta give her hope. And then it's like, yeah, I just won't, I guess? Yeah. Maybe it's the next episode. Like, what is what is this episode? Exactly. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Anyway, but so, yeah, yeah. He goes and he does his Jesse thing that I love. I am, like, legitimately annoyed that every casting director in, like, Hollywood just keeps casting Kobe Bell as, like, straight-laced cops Mm -hmm. because he's so charismatic. He's so charismatic. He's He's so much fun. He's so much fun, and he's so much fun when he's pretending to be a bad guy, when he's doing all his things that he does. He's so entertaining. I don't know why he hasn't been given a role that allows him to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. He has the chops. He can do it. I don't know what's up with that. I mean, he's just, he's so big and he's so bald yeah. that I think people just don't have an imagination. I will say, he's not even that big. He's big. When he's got broad shoulders and the fact that he's bald, yeah. too, just makes him, like, he's got a broad appearance. He does have a bit of a broad appearance. I think, like, but even more so, I think the the shoulders and the baldness, like, makes him seem broader than he is. He's actually kind of a skinnier guy. Mm-hmm. But, like, he just kind of looks like he's bigger than he is. Yeah. But he goes up and explains this whole deal. He interacts with the lawyer for, like, one second. He says, I have a I have a cool, like, bad guy deal. And the lawyer's like, I guess I shouldn't be here, and leaves, and we never see him again. And then he explains that to Montero that you should move your shipment. I'm a DAA guy. This is what's going on. And the guy uh, pulls a knife to his throat because he's a bad guy. And then that's actually, that's when Jesse mentions that they're going to get your cocaine shipment. And then the bad guy's like, Oh, cool. Fine, whatever. You're a good salesman, is what he says. Do you know that uh, Kobe Bell's dad was a famous Broadway actor? And oh. that he has four kids who were two sets of twins? He got twins twice. He got twin twins. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? He also is a songwriter in a reggae band. That's that's very interesting. That's a fun fact that you just found. Isn't that fun? That's what, you, that's what people come to Burn Notice for, for fun facts. <laughs> anyway, so Jesse takes Montero and his guys to the safe house that they've staged with all of the actual info that the DA the DEA has on the cartel. And Montero freaks the fuck out and asks if he's being played, and Jesse explains that uh he shot his boss and he shows him the body, and Montero, being such a bad guy, mm-hmm. believe it or not, he thinks that's funny. He's such a bad, bad man that he's laughing at the idea of a dead DEA agent. He is a psychopath. He is a bad, bad guy. 
I actually do really like this guy's performance. Yeah, I, that this guy has been in others. I recognize yeah. him. He's a he's a fun actor, and he like understands the assignment of being a villain, which is you got to give him a little bit of flamboyance. Yeah, and like have some fun. And being a Barrios villain, where it's like you could play it super straight laced and boring. Yeah, but also like. The thing is that you're despicable. Right. You're a cartoonishly despicable person. Exactly. Like, you're not even, like, a, you're not charismatic. You are not someone to be odd, but you're someone to just be despicably evil mm-hmm. because that is how bad guys are. Yeah. And you can play that boringly or you can have some fucking fun. Exactly. And he's having fun. I he appreciate is. this guy. Yeah. I mean, him and, and Jesse are fun together. Yeah. No. They have a good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesse tells Montero that he needs to move his shipment now before the DA notices that his body, the boss's body is missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and also they don't know the boss is dead, so presumably the boss is a person. But, you know, it's his body. Sure, sure, sure. And also, like, they're they're at, like, the office and there's shit about Montero and, like, the yeah. big bad that they're trying to catch, like, all over the room. Exactly. To establish, like, hey, we have been watching you. Yeah, there is a time frame on this. Get on it. Mm-hmm. And he says, you should go to this other place. The DEA doesn't work there because they have beef with the cops. And Montero's like, yeah, sure. He's actually very agreeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Montero loves Jesse. He's like, yeah. I'm. We're brothers. We're brothers. Yeah, I'm ride or die for you. You, you, you're fucking great. Yeah, cause, cause he's charismatic. Kobe Bell's charismatic, and he realizes that. Mm-hmm. And then we get a very quick scene of Fee in prison, where she's being watched by DB and her girls. And so Pensatucky suggests that she get in trouble with the guards. So the trouble that she gets in is that she stands against a wall that she should not stand on. And that's it. That's the scene. Yeah. And then the guards, like, escort her basically back to her cell, I guess. I guess. Yeah. And so that she can't get jumped on the way. It's Mm -hmm. like nothing. Like, at no point are they ever, like, doing anything with this prison plot. Mm -mm. There's no, like... Like, using it, there's no, What like, would you have used it for? I don't know. Just, like, Fee could do something more interesting to get in trouble than standing against a wall. Right. There's no, like, you're not having fun at all. Mm-hmm. It's, like, the the bare minimum of plot that can happen. Right. It's, like, it is a scene in which Fee gets in trouble by being stationary. Yeah, and it's also, like, Fiona's whole thing is she is this, like chaotic demon pixie. Exactly. Let her be chaotic. Like, she's so muted in prison. And I guess it's because she's almost giving up, even though she's been in jail for, like, one day. It's like, Fee, you gave yourself up for Michael Weston and you give up after one day? Like, come on. Right. (laughs) So, like, first of all, I don't buy that. I I think that that's silly. And I think that Michael can still want to see her without that. Because I also think that it gives Fee more fun, active stuff to do, where she's like, actually, I don't want to just, like, make sure that I don't get to be her bitch. I think, actually, I want her to be my bitch. Right. Like, that would be more fun if, like, she and her new friend are, like, plotting, like, how do I just fully take over the prison? Right. I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. Exactly. But no. No, that's not what we do. No, that's not what we do. What do we do instead? Well, instead, uh, Montero takes Jesse to a house where he keeps his other real DEA informant. And so at this point, you're like, oh, that's what this episode is. There's two different DEA informants. Mm -hmm. And so this other informant, who's named Agent Kemp, uh, who has, of course, not heard of Jesse, but also hasn't heard of this whole op either. Mm -hmm. Like, so how good of an informant is he, really, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't know that they're about to do this thing to him? Well, it's not the DEA doing the thing to him. No, it's it's, it's a CIA DEA commission. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, like, 
Like, yeah, that's true. It's not just that it's a fake mission. Well, I mean, I think more it's he doesn't know about the specific mission yeah. that Jesse is pretending to be a part of. But you're totally right. If it's a joint DAA mission, he should know something. Exactly. Like, it's weird that, like, they make a big point of, like, how this guy doesn't know who Jesse is. Mm-hmm. When, like, he should know who Jesse is. Right. But, like, the real who Jesse is and not the exactly. thing that they have invented. Oh, gosh. But, yeah. Um... So Montero says they got to figure out who the real DEA agent is and shoot that one. Mm-hmm. And so back in the van, Dr. Cox is pissed at Agent Kemp because it turns out that this guy is the reason that a bunch of his like undercover guys got killed because this guy was informing. Mm-hmm. And he wants to go in, but Michael's like, no, Jesse's making a play. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse says that Kemp is going to turn on Montero and like, he's actually trying to like get, get him in and that there's actually a DEA surveillance van outside right now mm-hmm. and so uh, Montero listens to Kemp's radio and the Michael and Dr. Cox kind of play the part of DEA agents that are working with Agent Kemp and they make the point of saying that don't shoot Agent Kemp Agent <laughs> Kemp is one of us uh-huh. so of course they sh- Montero shoots Agent Kemp and that's it for Agent Kemp it's not about that either it's not nope. even dual <laughs> it's not about that and they kill this guy, but it's fine because he got a bunch of guys killed, so it doesn't matter. We should not care that this man is dead. Yeah, he's he's an evil bad guy, and we hate him. Exactly. Also, once again, missed opportunity to let Michael Weston do the thing he did a couple of seasons ago, where he like has different voices on the phone to like make it seem like there's more people. What? I've got the north hands. I've got the northern spot covered. You say I've got the north hands? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm holding. I got my hand the north up. hands. <laughs> I got the south feet. <laughs> anyway, back in prison, Pensatucky tells Fee that she can get her to work, like, doing dishes or whatever to get away from DB, because DB is planning on jumping her. Really quickly, why has Fee at no point been like, how are you not on DB's shit list? Both as just, like, in general, but also seemingly actively helping me move against her. Like, why is Pensatucky left alone? She's obviously her friend. That's the only person Fee talks to. And she's like, I'm going to... And she has already explained that she is on DB's bad side. Yeah. Why is she also not getting killed? It's like, uh, no, we've already Fee, dealt with her. Fee doesn't ask that question because Alfredo Barrios Jr. does not have an answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. Um, yeah, it's, just, like, it's like she's a figment of her imagination. That's how much of a non-issue Pensatucky is in actual prison, even though she seems like she's in the most precarious situation. Exactly. It's so weird. No, it does. If there if there had been a final reveal that Pensatucky was in her head. Yes. Like that would make more sense. Like how originally the janitor was going to be in Scrubs. Exactly. <laughs> it all comes back to Scrubs. It all comes back to Scrubs. I like I also think it um, it probably would have been a more exciting turn if like Pensatucky for sticking her neck out for Fee had gotten her stab and then that like Fee's guilt you know leads her to do her thing and then the turn of Pensatucky of like I got fucking stabbed for you and guess what you're gonna get stabbed for me now like that would have been more interesting and it would add some emotional depth and like more it was more personal for Fee so it's not just like yeah it's prison you gotta assert your dominance that's the plot we're doing but it was also like tied up in like the one person who was nice to me like I got them stabbed because she was nice to me so like no this is not how we're doing this I'm gonna take this bitch down and also save my new friend and then oh no my new friend turned on me that's a much more interesting and complex plot line that would not have required all that much more work right but again this episode (laughs) is so unwilling to do 
anything. Yeah, no, nothing. Speaking of things that it's unwilling to do, we should talk about a thing that I haven't talked about yet, uh, which is that after they they kind of get her out of the room or whatever and get her a job, they start making weapons. At which point, Michael Weston gives us literally the first spy tips of any merit so far. There are mm-hmm. so few spy tips in this episode, and we'll talk about that more when we get to spy tips, but, like, oh my god, there's nothing. <laughs> yeah, like, well, because they're not doing anything. They're just, like, watching Jesse wander around. Yeah, no story or plot is happening in this episode at all. Yeah, it's really, it's not a good episode. No, it is not. Anyway, but they they make all these weapons... And then they How they got access to all of this equipment, that would have been a much more interesting thing to watch. Like, exactly. where did you get the duct tape? Where did you get all this fucking newspaper? Where did you get a battery and wire? He's like, yeah, you need a battery and wire. Where did you get the wire from? Like, yeah, I said that this episode was better at looking like a prison, but the last prison episode was much better at, like, telling a story about being in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, like, goes into that thing about, uh, you were talking about last week, about how... Um, like, Fee can never do things as well as Michael, so Fee's prison episode can't be as involved. And although, to be fair, she's going to keep being in prison. Yeah, I guess. And, like, spoilers, we're setting up a plot for next week, so that I suspect will be the main plot. So sure. that's that's something to come, and we can talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just nothing here. Yeah. And there's, like, this one scene where, like, they set a bed on fire, and there's a fight scene that's admittedly a decent fight scene, but mm-hmm. it's also way too little too late. Yeah, and also I don't care about anyone here, and it's like, you haven't earned this. Yeah, no, like, literally every person in this prison who is not Fear Pensataki is a non-entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just generic prison. You know, how generic prison can be bad. Exactly. Like a okay. bad guy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Montero finally takes Jesse to his boss, who does not buy Jesse at all. Mm-hmm. Also, this guy playing his boss, not very good. And also is on oxygen for some reason? It's, yeah, he is, like, the most stereotypical, like, cartel boss guy that you could ever see. Like, and he is playing it, like, he is playing at 11, like, cartoonish. If he was Italian, he would be doing Marlon Brando. Like, <laughs> like that's the level that we're working at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, he does not buy Jesse at all. And he wants to see all of these supposed DEA agents that are waiting to ambush them at their, like, cocaine drop-off. Mm-hmm. So Michael and co. are going to have to pretend to be a whole squad of DEA agents. But still, no different voices on the walking. No. Continuing to tease me. So yeah, they do a whole montage with the other only good spy tips where they explain how to fake an army, which we've faked an army yeah, before. we faked like several armies at this point. Exactly. But they do, they fake a whole army and Jesse and Montero show up and Montero completely buys uh, this DEA army facade. The trouble is he's buying it too well. Montero opens fire on this like van that is supposedly full of DEA guys, but is only full of Michael Mm -hmm. and blows it up. Michael's fine though. Yeah. Well, basically what happens is he starts to shoot and then basically Jesse does the thing that we've seen them do a couple of times where like he shoots badly to give the good guys like a head start, but then pretends that he's shooting correctly. And he's like, no, 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 no. The driver doesn't matter because they see the driver leave. He's like, it's all the actual guys are in the back of the truck. And they're like, okay. And so then they open fire into the back of the truck. How did the truck blow up? Trucks don't just blow up. He mentioned that there might've been explosives in the truck. Did Michael plant explosives? I guess he implanted explosives. When? 
I don't know. Why did they have explosives? I don't know. When Brie. did they put explosives there? Alfredo! <laughs> I need you to also understand, uh, partying the kimono here, uh-huh. this is the point in my taking notes that I gave up. That's great, because I don't want to talk about this episode. Anymore. Exactly. No. <laughs> I was like, it was getting late. I had, like, spent so much time on this bad episode. I needed to take the dog out. Mm-hmm. But I knew if I stopped to take the dog out. You'd I never would, start again. I would never start again. So yeah. it was just, this is the point in which I gave up. So my notes are a little more sparse. But there's also nothing happening, so who cares? Exactly. Like, uh, we don't have enough time in the episode for them to do anything interesting. Yeah. So the only thing that they can do is just finish the plot. <laughs> exactly. Which is nothing. So Mike, so Montero and Jesse are driving to meet the boss, but the boss calls and says, says that, hey, the DEA are here now. Where are your DEA? And Montero's like, I shot my DEA. And he calls his buddies and, like, his buddies are like, yeah, no, there was no one in the van. There's no one. Actually, no, they don't even look at the van. They're mm-hmm. just saying that no one came to check on the van. That's it. They don't even, like... They don't even look in the van. We don't even get, like, a money shot of them opening the van and there's no one inside. Mm-hmm. We don't even get that. No. Also, was the whole point of this op to, like, get Montero somewhere so that they could go get the drugs? Or, like, in confirming that the DEA was where they thought they were, they did, in fact, move the drugs so that the CIA could, like, grab them. Yeah, they moved the drugs. So they did move the drugs. Yes. That happened off screen. Yes, it happened off screen. <laughs> the whole plan happens off screen. Oh my god. Okay, continue. This is, I'm so mad. Yeah, no, it happened off screen. Fucking phone. This is like the most phoned in. As we're going through this, like I had a fine time watching this because again, did not have to recap. But like, truly, this is the most phoned in Alfredo Barrios Jr. shit. Yeah, no. He usually is. at least has something going on, and like it's always boring. But like, there's a. <laughs> The exciting stuff happens on screen of what there is that is exciting about a Barrios episode. So, yeah. And so uh, Montero realizes he's, realizes he's been played and he pulls a gun on Jesse. And then Jesse tries to get Montero to flip by just saying that, like, you know, the thing that they always say, like, they're going to come after you. Your only play is to, like, be flip. safe. And then Montero, once again, is just like, yeah, sure. Well, and then once again, and then he says, bringing it full circle, he says, I did say you were a good salesman. Mm-hmm. Which is like three pair of Kobe Bellets. Yeah, but he is. Uh, but again, it's so they keep doing this thing, which is kind of funny. It would be very funny in a smarter episode mm-hmm. of having him just kind of go, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> like, yeah, everyone's kind of just like, "Yeah, sure," except for Michael, who's just like, "This is the plot." No, that's not the plot. No, that's not the plot. And everyone else is like, "Yeah, all right, fine, Michael." Whatever. Exactly. We're going along with it. Yeah, and then so after the drug bust, Doctor Cox is very happy and says that like. This is really good for you. Things are going to be looking up for you at the CIA. And like, hell yeah, you can see Fee. It's great. You won't in this episode, but hell <laughs> for some yeah. Reason. Hell yeah, you can see Fee. It's good. It's good times for you. That's the end of Dr. Cox. And we never really, again, mention that he was his mentor. Mm-hmm. That is just... Although he does say, hey, let's go talk about it and get a yogurt together. And yeah. Like, there's a little smile. And that's like it. That's mm-hmm. it. But yeah, and so that's it. And... Then, finally, back at the loft, before he sees Fee... I guess, yeah. Yeah, Michael's chilling, and Nate finally comes back Mm -hmm. and explains that it turns out his wife left him Mm -hmm. and took the baby because the writers were annoyed at themselves for having written that into the show. Well, you know that that comes back, right? Like, you know what happens with Nate's baby. No, I don't know what happens. Here's the the thing about... Do you not want to spoil... Because I got spoiled on it by researching GIFs. But oh, um, I will say this. I know what happens. I will say this. 
I am firmly in the period where I definitely do not know what happens anymore. I don't either. I The only reason I know that is because we started doing this show and yeah. I got spoiled on it. Yeah. But like, I, I fully don't remember what happens from, uh, for, since last season, I haven't I don't known. Know. Yeah, no, I don't know what happens with the baby. I am spoiled on one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, something you're I can't tell you for the same reason you're not telling me. It'd be funny if they were the same thing. I know. Well, they're not because mine involves the baby. Right. I don't know for a fact that mine doesn't involve the baby. Is your thing about why there's voiceover? No. Oh, mine is. Okay, no. No, mine's a different thing. Oh, that. I, I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's that baby. Got this it. is the baby. This is the baby. Yeah, that makes sense. That doesn't make sense. Uh, well, maybe. Oh, I'm curious. So the writers are not tired of the fact that they wrote it into the show because the baby will come back. What a weird thing to do. But yeah, now, but Nate no longer has a wife and kid, mm-hmm. and we don't have to think about it anymore for a while. Mm-hmm. And Well, everyone fucking hated Ruth anyways. Exactly. I don't know if they just didn't like that actress or what, or if she just got hired. And well, they don't busy. like Nate. So they definitely don't want to have to pay a whole second person to be there with Nate. But they like, like him enough, though, that now Nate is going to come stay with Michael for a bit. Um, he can't stay at his mom's house. Why didn't he stay at his mom's house? Because Michael was being brotherly. Yeah, but his mom has, like, separate rooms. Brothers? But Michael hates his brother. I know. That's, <laughs> that's what, like, the defining characteristic of their relationship that's what is ma- he hates That's him. what makes it a sacrifice for Michael. But why? He doesn't have to sacrifice. Brothers? I don't know. I don't know. But again, this episode's really weird in that the last few minutes of it are very explicitly about setting up next week mm-hmm. in a way that Burn Notice doesn't normally do. Um, but yeah, we set up that next week, Nate's going to be staying at the loft. And then we cut back to Fee, and then the other shoe finally drops with Pensataki, and she tries to kill Fee. And then explains that um, she was given a phone underneath her bed, and that they're holding her sister hostage, and that they're going to kill like her sister if she doesn't kill Fee. So I'm presumably that's what next week's about. Right. Is them finding Pensateki's sister yeah. so that she doesn't have to kill Fee. Exactly. That's almost certainly the point of next week. And I guess it does explain like why she's helping her early on because maybe she hadn't gotten the cell phone call yet. It's possible. Because it I sort don't of know. feels like it happens midway through. If if she was just trying to get Fee killed, she would have helped DB. So it had to have happened midway through. It's entirely possible. And she's like, it seems like it's useful for Fee to continue on this path of, like, neutralizing DB, who I guess is my enemy, even though we've never seen them have beef, and she leaves me alone 100% of the time. I don't know. Anyway, I don't care because this episode's over. Thank God. Let's talk about spy tips so we can finally stop talking. So I have five things here. They are not all good spy tips. I just, like... I cut it down to five, and I'm reading them to you just so you, mostly so you can get the character mm-hmm. of the spy tips in this episode. Yeah, they're all very long. Um, yeah, it is entirely possible that there might be five disparate tips in here somewhere, like one or two of them. Uh-huh. But we will see. Okay. So I'm just going to read things, and then we will talk about how bad they are. The first one's definitely not anything. Yeah. It's nothing. No, it's nothing. No, most of them are nothing. But this is more, again, to give you character of what we're working with. <laughs> Going to prison is always a possibility for an operative. When your job involves working outside the law, sometimes it can't be avoided. If you find yourself inside, the first thing to remember is patience. You have to take your time, figure out who the players are, and stay out of trouble as long as you can, because inevitably, trouble will come to you. I need you to understand, Bree, there were tips in here that were worse. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's nothing. It's nothing. Fully nothing. There were somehow tips that were less than nothing. 
Anyway, next one. Prison, or any confined institutional environment, is just about the worst place possible to make an enemy. The regular schedule means your enemies know where you are every time hour of the day, while crowded living conditions mean they can choose the time and place that is best for an attack. Usually the best thing you can do is stay moving, stay aware, and stay paranoid. Most survival strategies in prison don't involve making any friends. When it's just about staying, al- when it's just about staying alive, you do what you have to. That's also not what she does. She very explicitly makes a friend who keeps her alive. Yeah, it's really weird. Does it make sense? Like, that's fully not what she does. Even when she gets to her final plan, which is mostly Fee, her friend's still the one that, like, lights the bed on fire. What is this? No. What? Get out of here. All right. Fuck this tip. All right. Now we get to the first tip that, like, might actually be a tip. It's sure. also long as hell. Because mm-hmm. it's playing over a montage. Yeah. Creating tools in prison is about working with what you have. Some things are simple, like making a knife by sharpening a toothbrush. But with a little effort, it's possible to get more sophisticated. Tightly rolled magazine pages soaked in salt water can create a serviceable club. You can make a prison lighter by short-circuiting a AA battery with some wire and stripping the insulation at the ignition point. Once once you're done, the issue is is hiding what you've made. All the weapons in the world won't help you if they're sitting in the warden's office. Carrying a successful attack in prison or any institutional environment is a challenge. There are simply more factors to consider than in a regular fight. You have to deal with bystanders, any of whom could decide to jump in on either side. And of course, if you don't remove the guards, the fight will be over before it starts. Even if you do everything right, you only have a small window of time. But hopefully that's all you need. There's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah. If you wanted to, you could count this as more than one tip. Yeah, I mean, the only things that I could really count as more than one tip are the magazine pages and the AA battery thing. Because, like, carrying off a successful attack in prison, he's basically just like, yeah, it sucks. Like, he just gives us a lot of reasons why it sucks, but doesn't really give us... Anything actionable. Yeah. Aside from what we see them do with the prison lighter, which we've already established is fine. So So that's really one tip. Yeah, I mean, it's two tips because technically the lighter isn't a weapon. So the weapon tip is toothbrush and club. Yeah, and the lighter tip is the distraction. Exactly. And the lighter tip feels like more a part of the second bit about carrying out a successful attack. Yeah. So I will allow this to be two, but that only matters if the next two tips, of which there are only two left, are good. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, I mean, the next two tips... Like, one of them has to be also two. Okay. What is it? No, I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying that's what it would have to be. Oh, you're you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Just pointing out how, like, we need another tip like that. Okay. So that's not going to happen. I'm telling you right now. Okay. Um, Cool, cool, cool. All right. The next one, because I think this, this is also pretty much nothing. Okay. The most dangerous time in an infiltration is often when you've completely sold your but yeah, when you've completely sold your target and made your way in. The reason is that your target is usually bringing you to his boss, and upper management tends to be harder to convince. Yeah, that's nothing. Absolutely nothing. How do you how do you change your tactics to make upper management happy? Who knows? Be Jesse, I guess. Yeah. Be a great salesman. <laughs> that's it. And now, so this next tip would need to be three tips. Yeah. Just pointing that out. It is a bit long, but not as long as the last one. Mm-mm. And that's barely two. Exactly. 
Convincing someone that they're looking at an army that is not there is about the little details. The barrel of a high-powered rifle combined with the bulkiness of a seat back under a plastic tarp can sell the presence of a team of concealed snipers ready to supply cover fire. A heavily loaded vehicle positioned at a natural choke point gives the impression of an assault team ready to storm a target, and a few well-placed agents with earpieces look just like spotters to guide an assault team. That's enough for one, but it's only going to be one. So this definitely fails in spite And also, like, some of this we've gotten before. Some of this we have gotten, but there's some fun stuff. Although I, I do think it's extremely funny that, like, the most prominent part of this tip is, like, how to convince your mom you're in your bed when you're not is you put pillows under there. And so he's basically using that to fake snipers. Is they've yeah. done the pillow in the under the bed sheets, like, faking of snipers. And we've definitely done snipers before. Have we? Have we faked snipers before? Oh, we've definitely faked snipers. I feel like that's the thing we've definitely faked. When did we fake snipers? Because usually they don't see enough people to justify it. It's about, Wasn't that one episode with, like, the, like, alt-righty kind of military guys where they had to, like, convince them that there was a big other army and, like, that had had guns in it. I feel like that had, like, I don't know if they were snipers. Yeah, I don't think they were snipers, but, yeah, you're right. It's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same thing. Was that the one where they used the fan? No, the fan was a totally different episode. That's the one where they should have used the fan trick that we learned in a different episode and then they just didn't. Yeah. But the alt-right guys were like, ah, I see a barrel. There must be eight people that I can kill as a yeah. result of that. Anyways, yeah, yeah. This is nothing. This is nothing. Well, I mean, well, this is a good tip, but... This is a good tip, but, like, yeah, it's... That's two as tips. As a collective, spy tips are nothing. Yeah. There's two tips in that episode. So this episode does not win a certificate nope. on tips. No certificate being sent to Alfredo Barrios Jr. on June 21st. Now, did this episode use spycraft over violence? Yeah, because they had to, because they didn't have enough people to do violence. Exactly. They're... Although they had double the people that we assumed they'd have at the beginning of this episode when Dr. Goss was like, it's just me and you, kid. Exactly. So... Just me and you, newbie. Yeah. But no, but I think they're... Yeah, I don't... I think that they use spycraft over violence only because, as you said, there's no violence. Yeah. Fee beats up someone, and that's it. Yeah, but she gets to beat her up through sort of spycraft. Yeah, I'll, like, yeah. So I'll give it that. Is there an alias in this episode? Nope. No, there is not. Are at least two supporting characters used well? Does Fee get to blow something up or get to be co-protagonist? She doesn't get to blow something up, but she does get to, like, triumphantly in slow motion appear from, like, the 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 smoke with, like, a cool slidey move and some, like, weapons she built. She also does enable a fire to be set, and that's about as much of explosives as you can get in prison. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take that, yeah. Uh, does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? He gets to bring in a body and immediately open a beer. Eh, <laughs> I, I'm i less convinced by that one, but also yeah. I don't care that much. Yeah, I don't care either. Once again. Yeah. Um, Jesse, is he a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? Yeah. I really like Jesse in this episode. Yeah, he gets to do the charisma thing. Yeah, it does. So we get that. <laughs> so at least we get this tip. And Madeline, this... Madeline get a genuinely emotional moment with another character or gets to the case of the week. I feel like there was an emotional moment of Michael being like, no, mom, that's not the episode. And she's like, fine, bye. But that's the only time we see her is her attempting to bring Nate into the episode and Michael being like, fuck no. But still, at least they get the two supporting characters. Yeah, so they do. So that's two out of two, but not enough. Not enough. This is not a great episode of Burn Notice. It sure is. Was this Brie Castellini? <laughs> my, 
my my good friend of many years, my co-host, my love. Is this a great episode of television? Chris could not maintain eye contact after she said my love, which is so funny to me. Uh, no, it's absolutely not. This is an episode of television, barely. This is like, it's trying to be like eight episodes of television, and it somehow is none of them. Yeah, it's threatening to be an episode of television. <laughs> And then never quite committing. Yeah. Yeah, no, bad job, Alfredo Barrios Jr. Yeah. And you know what? Bad job, Jeffrey Donovan. Like, it looks fine, mm-hmm. but, like, part of your job is to salvage this. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot to salvage. I don't, yeah. There's, like, something that you can do. You can direct someone to, I mean, like, I feel like he directed them as well as he could. The problem no. was is that he was just, every scene is stunted because it's the only scene in the storyline. So there's no way for him to create like a consistent character tale because there's nothing to be had. I will say, this is what I will say. Okay. I don't think he is a bad director in this episode. I'm saying that like this episode needed a great director in order to make it anything. anything. And it did not have that. Mm-mm. And that's not necessarily Jeffrey Donovan's fault. But also, it's not not his fault because, like, he was not enough. And I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, next week I have to watch a Ben Watkins episode. But you get, I think for the first time in a while, you get a Michael Horowitz episode. Oh, fun. So, in two weeks, hopefully, we'll get some fucking relief. But right now, all we can do is say thank you. Get the fuck out of this episode. (laughs) <laughs> first we gotta say thanks to Vincent E.L. for our theme music if you want more uh, go to vincent.bandcamp uh, vincentel.bandcamp.com go listen to that they just put out like a little short song it's really fun it's like short but it's cute and it's you should listen to it okay um and other than that bye bye I feel like my stomach was really loud this episode it kept making noises while we were talking